0: Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.
1: So, hello and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. And I am thrilled and delighted to be joined today by the legend that is Dee Dee Doak. Um, Dee Dee Doak is a has started her career as a journalist. She's had a lifelong interest in HR, employment, and recruitment matters. And so her probably perfect job is the one that most of you will know her for. She is the editor of Recruiter Magazine. She has been performing that important task since 2005, which means, Didi, I guess, that you have uh, the most unbeatable <laughs> network and an encyclopedic knowledge of the industry. So thank you for joining us today. We are so welcome.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me, Alison. Just a bit of
1: scene setting, first of all, because you've been knocking around the recruitment industry as well as, to make this point, the internal talent acquisition industry for such a long time. In your whole recruitment industry career, what do you think have been the most important, say, three changes or
2: shifts? It's a tough question, but I think I can narrow it down broadly to three. I would say that the emergence of the in-house recruitment sector has been one of the most significant changes. You've always seen uh, recruitment officers within organizations, but I think it, you know, blossomed and exploded um, probably after 2005. I remember the first time someone got in touch with me and he said, are you ever going to do anything with the in-house recruitment sector? And I said, what is that? And so I got an explanation and I went off on it and found it to be very significant. Now, moving on to another area of importance, We, we can't get away From the significance of technology, whether you're in-house, agency, consultancy, RPO, whatever. I mean, a whole industry has grown up around different kinds of rec tech, if you will. And what do you think
1: has been the impact of that change?
2: Oh, incredible. I think for some people, some organizations, it's helped them make their operations more efficient I think, you know, in terms of doing very clarkish kinds of things with with it, um, I think when you have talent acquisition on steroids as you do, it allows them to do a lot more. Mm. And I think we're all familiar with how there's very little you can do in recruitment right now, at least in discussion, without bringing the the technology part into it. The third thing that I would say would be COVID because that changed how we work, you know, in terms of hybrid, working at home, um, remote fully and so forth. And that has changed the landscape of how people can be recruited they can work halfway across the world but they can still work for an organization um, also it's uh, it changed the way we look at recruiting who wants to work in an office who doesn't want to work in an office there mm-hmm. all of these aftershocks from it and it also meant that far from doing as many face-to-face and I mean in-person interviews as might have been done before you know there is a lot of remote interviewing more so so those would be my three okay that's a brilliant list and they are all such enormous topics um, to
1: to expand on I think the fascinating thing I heard it expressed this way was that for most companies, their IT strategy was not decided by their, um, you know, their head of IT or their CEO. It was actually decided by a virus, yeah. <laughs> and all the uh, technology, or well, not all, but very much of the technology that we now use, all existed pre-COVID, didn't it? But people were had to be pushed by the emergency into universal adoption but it yes. just might take your last point there about you know hybrid and remote working it really does mean that the labor market has be- has become a global thing doesn't it and that yes. in turn means we have to use smarter and smarter technology um, to get reliable data quickly about, for example, candidate pools. So you made a very interesting point there about people who want to work in an office and people who don't. And I've certainly observed in amongst my client group, which is recruitment agencies, yes. that they they're coming down with that rather than as a means of a, you know just accommodating individual preference. They are actually sort of it's becoming part of their um, culture and values to say we yes. are an an in-office firm or we're entirely remote for example yes fascinating thank you um so your very first point which was about the emergence um and influence now of the internal HR community or internal uh, recruitment community I think is is one of the areas that you're in a unique position to comment on aren't you because (laughs) you 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 speak across both those audiences so um, I'd love, really appreciate your thoughts on what both groups have in common and how do you think they differ?
2: That is a really good question and I I do think about that regularly. I think that what they both have in common is that they need to have persuasion and influencing skills. You You have to have that in agency, you have mm-hmm. to have that in internal, I think that their philosophies will differ a bit in terms of getting the right candidate in place. Because although some agency recruiters you know, do take a consultative view of things like internal mobility and so forth, that's much more an in-house concern. You know, um, many recruiters would prefer that there was no internal mobility, so they could always get people from outside to come in and and fill the slots. Mm. I think that what they have to use for their performance is a bit different. I think that many recruiters are concerned with their individual billings. You know, how many candidates did I place in such a period of time? Mm -hmm. I think that with an internal recruitment organization serving a bigger organization, they have to be more company focused, Mm. uh, more organization. And I say organization because you have charities and all of that in there too. But I think that the big picture. Is much more important in house than it is to the individual recruitment agency consultant. Certainly, there's team spirit, team camaraderie, but at the end of the day, it's individuals more in an agency.
1: Mm, okay, so lots of uh, interesting points there. I think the um, your point about internal mobility and looking first at retraining existing staff for example or developing people um, before going externally for candidates is increasingly the trend isn't it and I don't think there's any substantial business that has historically used agencies that doesn't eventually turn around and review and say well hang on a minute are we we actually optimizing our resources here could we do do things differently and we've seen that uh, in addition therefore we've seen partnerships like um, RPO type partnerships emerge, haven't yes. we? Um, but I, I was just thinking while you were talking about when did this start? When did uh, internal talent acquisition people really become very impressive and influential? And I think one factor in that was that um, post the 2008 financial crash, there was suddenly a lot more crossover between agency recruitment and internal talent. And therefore, mutual understanding, I think, increased enormously. And the skills and knowledge of both sides also increased at that point. So when you see them working together, i.e. external recruiters and internal talent, what does it take from your point of view for that to be a successful partnership?
2: Frankly, you take a much more optimistic view of that than I do. Because we still see on internal recruiters achievement lists, uh, you know, to do for the year or have done the fact that they have reduced agency spend. So basically, it's in their best interests for their internal targets for them to be doing more of their own placements. Mm -hmm. I also think... That one of, this is going to sound a bit off-piste, but it's something I feel very strongly. I believe that for recruiters, the agency consultancy recruiters, to actually achieve the influence they need across the board, there are going to have to be some standout heads or top people in agencies who become general public influencers. And I don't think there are many that perhaps even aspire to come close to that. James Reed might be one example of someone big public profile, although I think he more reflects what can go on in the market. I don't think he says this must happen. And I think there need to be some of those people to really level the playing field in terms of influence now going back to the point about when did this start to happen i think that is there is a continuing tug of war and in some areas it's a more gentle tug of war than others but i think that Anytime you are going to make something more difficult for your supplier, say, we want X number of this kind of people on our short lists, or we want people from these other universities, I think that's going to give recruiters a bit of initial heartburn because, well, you know, we didn't used to do that. Uh, now we're going to have to, to do that. And I don't think it can ever be a perfectly level playing field. I think it's gotten away uh, in great part from the servant master relationship, which is a real step forward. <laughs> um, but at the, at the end of the day, the internal clients are becoming more demanding, as they must for their businesses, their organizations to progress. They have to do that, but I think that there is still a bit of lag between where recruitment agencies need to be and where they they actually want to go. Mm, okay,
1: fascinating point, um, and and you 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 mentioned James Reed as a possible example of. Big public profile. James, uh, from what I've read, speaks about much wider issues than just the act of recruiting, doesn't he? He talks about yes. the, the workforce as a whole mm. and work yes. trends, if you like, and rather than just recruitment or the bits that Reed do, if you like. Yes. Um, I, I maybe I've just been lucky, but in my dealings with end hirers and internal mm. talent professionals. I think that one of the keys to making that relationship work really well is where the agency recruiter can add genuine consultative uh, insights. And that's not just opinions, is it? It's not just, uh, I think you're going to have to pay a bit more for for that job. (laughs) Thing. You know, it's about being able to give data about specialist skills, for example, or or identifying, you know, potential sources of candidates or, or how to broaden a shortlist, you know, to be more inclusive. Yes. Um, and that is the piece that I do. I think I agree with you that the majority of agency recruiters I meet are probably still perceived to be um, people who forward CVs. And they need to be more, perhaps more rigorous in the insights that they, you know, that they are able to offer their clients, whether those clients are, you know, a, a line managers or internal hiring clients. Yes. Well, um, if they're going to be successful.
2: Interestingly, and uh, you're very familiar with our recruiter awards, and when I read through the entries, one thing that always strikes me is that too few of our wonderful recruiters really know how to tell their own story. I think there are some who excel and when they can tell their story of how they made a difference, wow, That that's really wonderful. And although I'm hating this word at the moment, inspiring, mm-hmm. they... They can inspire and you think, wow, um, look at what is possible here. But there are far too many that don't know how to tell potential clients, potential award panels, what makes you the agency you are and what are these special skills that uh, that you have special knowledge you have that Mm -hmm. can make a difference to a client and candidates
1: right and
2: very much it's not a don't uh tell us show us Mm mm-hmm
1: yeah okay that is such an important point and obviously you, you know you you have the privilege of seeing all of these entries um, and I've been a judge on the awards at your kind invitation what I think you're saying is that those entries that say oh you should use us because between us our directors have got 25 years of experience no it doesn't really do it for me at all <laughs> all exactly. I do is work out yeah but there's five of you mate so you know you've got five years experience um, <laughs> but instead say for example of how they've improved an end client's actual business performance yes. rather yes. than just we filled the job really quickly that kind yes. of thing it's about yes. the impact of recruitment isn't it and and more and more people are looking at quality of hire in the, in the long run rather than the speed of the service or you know how many cvs you sent them thank right. goodness and the real impact of what all sorts of recruiters, in-house or external, do is actually about what the people, the skill, the talent that you bring into the the organisation does with that talent in the yes. future. And so, you know, I've said it on several podcasts. It's really important for agency recruiters to understand that their clients have KPIs too, and headcount is not <laughs> one of them. You know, <laughs> just billing jobs is not for the sake of it. Is not one of them. In fact, quite the reverse. I mean you know, if they could achieve their corporate goals without headcount, you know, they would. they would. So your your rewards, and there are various of them, obviously, you've got the investing talent re- awards, and you've got um, the the recruiter awards, and yes. then your, your various lists, like the hot list, um, and so forth. You, those allow you to see the best of the industry as well. So is there, without naming names, is yes. there anything generally that has really impressed you over the last year?
2: I can't mention names, probably, but I would say that one entry in our recent recruiter awards really knocked my socks off. This involved an organization being involved in having, not in fighting the Ukraine war, but in uh, supplying people who are necessary to um, help another couple of organizations survive and thrive during that. And this organization was able to provide really good evidence-based. It's not using lots of adjectives. It's, as you talked about it before, Alison, the data. You know, what evidence have you got here? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, another company that does a lot of, in the diversity, inclusion, equity space that has introduced some great training programs that I found very interesting. Um, Now, I have not been able to read them all as much as I would like to, but the entries in our recent um, call for entries in investing in talent, very, Very interesting. And I think I'm not giving anything away by saying because the world of recruitment is in its infancy Mm -hmm. in developing initiatives, approaches to bringing diverse people with inclusive practices and delivering equity uh, for all, we did not have the sheer numbers of entrants that we do for the recruiter awards not mm-hmm. surprising. And there were some that clearly have a way to go before fully uh, realizing their vision. But there are some others too that you really want to jump up and shout about. And I think we've got some good exa- great examples coming out in the next few months that I can share more fully with
1: you those sound really interesting uh organizations and i think with your investing in talent awards it's not enough to say oh guess what we rolled we rolled out a lot of training days is that you've got to actually look at the roi that they're achieving yes um, and uh although clearly the prizes has span other categories as well now um,
2: can i share with you one yeah. example that fully came to my attention yesterday that I think is really exciting. There's been a bit of a government hoo-ha about some councils that are going to four-day weeks. Now, in recruitment, a four-day week is going to be a very strong attraction measure, right? But the government is saying, oh, you can't do that. You've got to go back to work five days and so forth. If you look at the data that some of these councils are generating on the increase in productivity, um, less um, revenue wastage and so forth. It's amazing. And I think that organizations that in recruitment want to introduce a four-day week as a recruitment and retention measure. The evidence is out there if you've got the right framework in the company to work that productivity. Mm-hmm. Sorry okay. about that. I'm just really no, that's interesting about that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, it, but it's a, yet another example of how we, uh, we tend to just prefer what's familiar. And and yes. sometimes these changes have to be pushed through by, you know, a sort of cataclysmic event, like, yes. like everyone using, using Zoom and Teams and, um, and so forth yes and um, one of the issues i have with the in the, with the agency recruiter side is that new startups continue to proliferate yes and a lot of people you know the uk market i think is is absolutely saturated yes. um, perhaps not in every sector but we have a huge ratio of of uh recruitment agencies to non-recruitment businesses <laughs> yes and there are to my mind, too many startups that have gone ahead without a clear plan about what they're going to do differently or better than already yes. exists, a clear idea of what kind of organization they want to build, or even a clear <laughs> idea who their target audience is. Yes.
2: Um,
1: and when well, well, I take my hat off to the <laughs> eternal optimism um, of recruitment business startup <laughs> people, you know, a lot of them will unfortunately not manage to find a niche in the market will they because they can't they haven't got those things clear in their own minds as it were right just going back to um the all the awards and rankings listings that that you are ultimately behind i used to think of awards in almost like a three-year cycle you had to first of all look at who is winning awards and for what if you could yeah just you know reading the summaries or listening to the um presenters summary of why those awards have been been given to those companies and then entering your and then actually working out a plan for how you're going to have some uh you know roi for your changes and then entering the next year you know what i mean i love that you have to have quite a lot on the go don't you (laughs) what advice dd would you give to those companies who are thinking of entering for awards for the very first time?
2: Oh, wow. that That is such a, a big one. I would say, instead of thinking about, well, we want to win an award this year so we can do this, that or the other, think of the award as recognition for something you do. I think a lot of organizations think, we've got to win some awards. And I think your approach, this three-year cycle, I think it sounds wonderful. And recruitment, I don't know how many recruiters have the patience <laughs> to, True. To, to go through that. I think they should have, but I don't think they do. But I think you need to think about the story you want to tell. Not, oh, we're a great agency, we build this much this year. And so forth. What is the story around the theme of making a difference that you have to tell? You know, if it happened within that calendar year, you have to tell it that year because you might not have another opportunity with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what did you do this year that in your mind made you stand out? amongst all of those who do what you do in your sector, maybe. It can go beyond that, but making a difference. How did we make a difference? Start with that point. And if you don't have a story to tell that year, perhaps you say, okay, with with that in mind, in terms of our purpose, our raison d'etre, being making a difference if you set your business on that kind of a path then you are going to have the content the story that could win you awards does that make any sense alice mm,
1: i think that's that's really sound advice don't go at it, it like as you said don't waste your time doing it if it's just we want a bad to say we're yeah. great do you know actually have a plan for your organization and execute it and and describe how it's made a difference yeah I think that's great advice one uh, you know I've been a judge on on lots of different awards as well I'm gonna I'm just gonna come out and say it it won't wash to just write we pride ourselves on having excellent relationships and here's a testimonial that says uh you know ex-recruiter was really friendly and lovely it just isn't enough guys it might be giving you a great nice warm feeling i am riding yourself
2: vigorously over here yeah um that is so true and that's where companies just don't get the telling a story bit Mm. um many entries that come in seem to suggest that the company is a um, uh, you know it's a nice company does its job you know tries to but probably not you don't see sparks mm. out of the paper they've put their entries on that lack of awareness self-awareness about mm-hmm. what they do is something that makes me crazy because they don't do themselves any
1: favorites right I agree with you wholeheartedly and do you know another thing that's um another phrase that just makes sets my teeth on edge when I see <laughs> it in an awards entry or anywhere else or I even hear people saying it it's oh we're not like your typical recruiter. yes <laughs>
2: right we're
1: different yeah. the oh. agency recruiter world is terrible for you know basically defaming itself isn't it yes um, you know if you hear the CEO of oh I don't know Tesco's or Sainsbury's <laughs> or whatever, on, a, on an interview they don't say oh well everyone else is rubbish they <laughs> they say you know we have respect for, for our competitors we think we're possibly a little bit ahead on uh, you know on club card membership data use or something along those lines but they yes. do not you know, just criticize the entire industry and no. actually that the, the complacency that that goes along with that suggests that people who are nice and doing their job but nothing exceptional maybe they this it's this idea that everyone else is you know not just incompetent but downright criminal um <laughs> it's a very low threshold isn't it a low bar
2: <laughs> yes and um, not only did does that wording come out in award entries um the press releases i receive about New agencies Mm -hmm. generally will say something like, so-and-so had a different idea about how to do recruitment. And you look through the thing, and there's nothing about what that differentiator is, you know. Yeah, Uh, yeah.
1: So, oh gosh. So I I think that this advice on entry of awards entries is invaluable (laughs) and everyone will have taken, you know, at least value from, from listening to your hearing it straight (laughs) from you. Thank you. I often get asked by people about how they get on your fast lists, you know, like the hot, the hot 100 uh, and the fast 50. (laughs) I got that the right way around. Yeah, uh, Fast
2: 50 um, and HOT 100, yes. But, thank you. Could you
1: just outline how people get on there for us?
2: This is uh, an increasingly simple question to answer. We have partners who do all this heavy-duty math work for us because <laughs> we certainly cannot do that internally. But our partners, Gambit Corporate Finance on the HOT 100, and Clearwater International on the FAST-50. They want organizations to contact them and send them their financial data for the relevant periods. Now, we used to have a bit of a different system with the Hot 100. We had a different analyst for many, many years who knew the sector well enough that she could Just go and look up any number of companies in Companies House and get their results. And, oh, okay, they'll work this year and so forth. Our new partners uh, believe that there's a better way to do this because nobody can know everyone. And they would like to see companies that think they've been highly efficient, highly profitable to send in their data to them, to contact them, and then send in this information. With the Mm -hmm. FAST50, it's over a three-year period, so the documentation needs are a little difficult. But if people uh, want to know how to be considered for these, they should either read our um, online bulletin or the magazine religiously, because we do put out calls for companies. To send in the information and we send out email shots with that information so we are intent on spreading the word but in the first instance if for whatever reason they want to contact me about it i can point them in the right directions okay
1: fabulous thank you for that so uh, it is a there's an invitation for people to be considered yes um and and the information that they supply is verified by Gambit and Clearwater isn't oh, it? Oh yes
2: oh yes that's okay. I'm just
1: putting that out there in case anyone is thinking oh well, I, I'll just have a punt and make up oh, some numbers um, you are going to fall flat on your face aren't you? right okay. back to the magazine um yes. now I, look, I, I read every every issue cover to cover I think it's just great the way you're now covering like both the internal talent market and the agency recruitment market Mm -hmm. and there's lots of great articles and contributions as well and you will have have probably already planned out 2024 and what big (laughs) themes do you uh, do you hope to cover and what do you think well dare I ask you can you just any any, would you care to hazard any predictions for 2024
2: well i'll take that part last but i will tell you about my planning process as it were and i have to say that i drive our sales team absolutely mad with this (laughs) approach and um, probably a a lot of uh, public relations people too i come from a news background Uh, daily newspapers, and broadcast. And in those arenas, you generally wait until very close to when you need information to say, okay, this is the most important thing we've got going at this time and uh, we want it to be timely information, you know, Mm -hmm. hot off the press as it were. No, with the exception of our themed issues like the Hot 100, the 11 most influential in-house recruiters, uh, FAST 50, I don't really plan them out that far because I'm looking for the best thing for that time. And I can give you an example right now based on uh, the issue that will land on desks. It should be out there now, but I haven't, I haven't received mine yet. I went to the LinkedIn conference, the Global Talent Connect Summit in New York at the beginning of October. And I had some ideas about what I was going to do for our cover story, the issue for November, December, but I hadn't solidified it yet. Lo and behold, this conference I came across some absolutely dazzling speakers, not so much in how they presented, but the insight, the information they had. And one of them actually was from the, uh, one person was actually from the same time zone here. And uh, she talked about her Green Jobs Foundation. This is someone uh, at a very senior level in a recruitment agency. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about the, uh, the development of green jobs, what this involved, and so forth. So I was able to get an interview with her back here once the conference was over. And she and her Green Jobs Foundation are our cover story for the November-December issue. Her name is Joanna Bonnet. She's with Page Group, and she is just the vanguard, I believe, of what recruitment is capable of in pursuing the green jobs revolution. Uh, Very, very exciting. And there were some other uh, people I I met, um, I heard speak, and I spoke, and I talked with them afterwards, you know, about innovation and innovation is another one of those horrible words that gets thrown around and it loses meaning you -hmm. know it's buying a new kind of uh computer innovation I don't think so I think it's got to be a mindset it's how you do things it's not necessarily what you do Mm -hmm. and so I'm looking to do something significant with that very shortly as well so if i had if i'd had something planned something would have had to have moved and that's fine but i want to be you you can get the girl out of the newsroom but you can't get the newsroom out of the girl (laughs) i want to be first i want to give our readers something they haven't seen before, something they haven't heard about before, or mm-hmm. if they have heard about it, I want to give them insight they won't have had before.
1: Right. So current, news being very current is really important to you. I yes. have no idea because so with so many trade journals, their content is planned out months and months in advance, isn't it? Oh, I know. Um, but that's fascinating. And actually, you know, every time, and I always read your your editors um, <laughs> forward as well
2: uh, in
1: the magazine, and it it always seems to be, well, I was just thinking that, you know, <laughs> or, or oh. rather I was thinking about that, you know. Oh, thank you. So you always seem to just like have your finger on the pulse. Um, so I'm going to push you up for my final yes. question, Dee Dee. Yes. Give us... Give us A couple of predictions for 2024, if you would.
2: Okay. This is really, really hard. I do think that green jobs are going to be more of a thing in the recruitment sector, not just some airy-fairy concept that the government uh, throws out at us. Because frankly, and forgive my opinionism here, they don't seem to know very much about them. And Mm -hmm. I think that the whole area of jobs, since that's recruitment's turf, they slash we are in a brilliant position to be able to help chart the course there. Mm. Okay. Also, I think recruiters are going to have to take a greater role in the reskilling of the UK. This is a subject that's very close to my heart because... I think there has been a time when people's skills are not up with the times. And I Mm -hmm. think there has been an approach, I'd say even more so in the U.S. than here, but here as well, to if somebody's skills aren't what you need at the moment, well, you make them redundant or, Mm. you know, something. Recruiters are in a great position to change that approach, you know, to, to be at the knife edge of reskilling? How can they potentially identify people who, are uh, groups of people who can be reskilled in certain areas? Maybe the client is looking for people to mm. reskill in a certain area. How do you do that? How do you find the lead people for that? I think that's a topic that we've, you know, barely even covered the surface of, but I think that's an opportunity for Mm. recruiters.
1: Okay. So green jobs and Mm. recruiters role in reskilling or upskilling the, yes. the work the, the target workforce if you like yeah
2: yes. okay
1: well listeners you heard it here first straight from <laughs> the lips of the oh. fabulous dd Doug. <laughs> dd it's been an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest thank you so much oh. for making time to join me it's um, been my
2: pleasure entirely, Alison. Thank that's you. That's
1: great. Thank you. Um, and listeners, if you would like to speak to me about any of the topics that you've he- heard today or about my work as a non-exec director and board advisor, then you can get in touch with me at Alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk.
2: And Didi, um, how should people contact you? Didi.doke at recruiter.co.uk. or on LinkedIn
1: that's fabulous thank you so much and thank you for listening everybody bye bye.
0: you've been listening to the recruitment leadership podcast if you enjoyed our podcast please subscribe review and share so that others can find the podcast too we really appreciate your support If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about Recruitment Leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow Recruitment Leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership podcast.